This is Henry Kennedy. I'm the executive director of Kiev Wabas Education. You're listening to the Quest Podcast, stories from Dermascotta Lake. Kiev Wabas has been here for about 100 years, so we headed out to talk with some of our alumni to hear some of their stories and share them with you. Uh, I'm sitting here with one of the very first Wabas people that I ever met. My name's Tom Dorman. Okay, so my years at Wabas were first as a camper, 1958 through 63, and as a junior counselor and a counselor, uh, 65 to 67, mm-hmm. and then kind of as a refounder and executive director from 90, 1992 to 96 or 7, and then board member after that through 99. You were the original executive director of the Wavis Foundation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is a big the hot deal. seat. <laughs> yeah, the hot seat is right. I remember spending a lot of time with you back in the day. Everything was brand new and really, really exciting. It was well. Uh, it was a, it was kind of a long shot too. It sure was. Yeah, I know it kind of found us. I think my my grandfather and f- three other friends at Bates College purchased the Wavis Point in 1916. Hmm. So these are four guys with no, well, one one must have had some money, mm-hmm. <laughs> and Del Andrews was one of them, and Del Andrews was my grandfather's best friend in life. Mm-hmm. They were Maine boys, and my grandfather left Maine to become a doctor and a surgeon in, in Washington D.C. And Del, who was a Jefferson boy, mm-hmm. the two of them were were the oldest guys in the class of ten <laughs> at Base College, and they played football and and uh, baseball together. And met their wives at Moses Brown and Lincoln School, hmm. where they taught afterwards. Ah. They called it camp and going to camp. And then my parents met there in the 30s when they were teenagers. So they bought the land all together in, in, two, in uh, 1916? In 1916, they bought the point. Mm-hmm. And the point was probably, I'm quite sure it was an island, really. Right. Before World War II, it was an yeah, island. Yeah, yeah. So they bought the just the island. I, I think that's all they could afford. Yeah. Huh. The property was called, historically, it was called the 100-acre farm. The lake was a lot lower historically than it is now. Mm-hmm. If you're out in the, uh, the cove, to your right as you come into camp, mm-hmm. you will find in your motorboat, if you're not careful and the mm-hmm. water's low, <laughs> you know, a standing wall from the fence from the farm. Yeah, a couple of years ago, the lake uh, dropped quite a bit and you could see some of the rocks. That's how I came to it. My um, my father was the youngest of four sons. Mm-hmm. All of them had different involvements at camp. Counselors, everyone, campers, my father and was probably the only one who was a camper. He was mm-hmm. the youngest. And then all my virtually all of my cousins on the dormant side went there. So there were like, I believe there were 12 out of 13 went there. So it was like a, like a lot of years put in. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And one year there were 10 dormant kids in the camp. Wow. That is awesome. <laughs> and just before you go on, so just so that I understand it. So 1916 is when Del Andrews uh, and your family and others uh, bought the island. Just my grandfather. He's your a grandfather. single guy, you know, just okay. 20 years old. Oh, wow. And so, well, um, but it was 20. six years later that the camp was first started. Right? Yes. Yeah. I believe Del Andrews rented the land to start, but somehow acquired it pretty soon. Wow. So that was, in, and so 1922, it was started as a, as a girls camp, right? Very briefly, just mm-hmm. a year, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, and how did you 
literally find your way to Wabash. Some of the alums uh, have stories of taking uh, steamships and trains and all the rest. So yeah, yeah. I don't all know. Right. Well, I'm going to give more of a first impression. Sure. The first time I went over as a kid. And it was in 1957 at the peak of the summer. And it was a um, uh, one of those great sunny July or August days and mm-hmm. windy. And Uncle Westy took my father and I for a walk out on the causeway mm-hmm. where the girls' swim area used to be. Mm-hmm. And um, Westy was a hell of a salesman. He was the head football coach at Maine. He had a, he was a winner. You know, they, they had he'd taken over in 50, and this is 57. He had not had a losing season and with, with meager resources. And here he was kind of, I was sensing what was going on there as an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. And it was really a, um, you know, not one hair in his head moved in the wind. You know, mm-hmm. it's like this, these are these are coaches. They're very controlling, mm-hmm. and to some extent, you need that at a camp because of the twenty-four hour a day safety issues. But um, my impression, you know, coming to Wavis in that way, was that the new generation was coming, and my father was checking him out as much as he was trying to sell us. Like, who's the new guy who's taking over uh-huh. Wavis? Is he worthy of it? Mm-hmm. And so this was, he was in the middle of buying the camp from the Andrews family? Well, the Andrews kind of gave it to him. Oh, huh. that was a nice gift. They sold it to him for, I think it was, I have all this stuff from startup, but I think they sold it to him for 75000 in 53 and then let him pay it off in simple interest. Mm. And you as an accountant, CPA, will know what, why that is such a good deal. The reason Wesley was there at all was that Wesley, Andrew's son, Delbert Jr., had died in 1933. Mm. And so that was a huge loss to them. You know, he was in line. Sure, that makes sense. And their daughter tried to do it also. And kept it going for quite a while. She was pretty sharp. Peggy Bond. Who were my best friends? My best friend was my cousin Mike Dorman, same age as me. My cousin Barkley was three years older. And that first year, 58, he and I were the only ones from the family to go. Traditions? All of them. So there are a lot of traditions at Wabas. Oh, yeah. I think this is important because... we just don't want to lose track of them. And for some that we might not know about, we want to reinvigorate. The days were highly structured. It was the tradition of all the things we did every day. It began with Reveille and then the girls' rising bell. I think it was called the rising. And that was 15 minutes later, and then the whole day went through. I remember, uh, you know, in particular, the Saturday night dances. And I remember Council Fire on Thursday nights. I remember that we were modeled after some vision of Native Americans. Mm-hmm. We were the Damascot of Braves. Mm-hmm. I remember that the girls were a separate camp. The girls thought they were every bit as good as us. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually we're doing all the tr- the main trips, even the Allagash. And I'll just give one more. It's Vespers on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful thing in the boys' lodge. So you'd have the girls there and you'd have the boys. Mm. So there's a lot of glancing across and mm-hmm. so on. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of spiritual. The whole camp was, you know, religious, had, you know, fairly conservative religious underpinnings. Mm-hmm. Every um, 
Monday morning, you would get your social point in the boys' camp. Mm -hmm. We were a little rather, you've probably heard all this stuff. No, no, I love hearing this. I, right. I, I hear, I, I've only heard a little bit about it, so okay. have, have at We it. had little leather bands like what you would wear for a watch. Of course, mm -hmm. nobody wore a watch. And uh, they would they had a little stamp machine that would stamp a, a stud, brass stud, into your uh, little wristband if you had done a good job. Right. And you'd walk up to Westy, they call your name, you'd walk up to Westy, give him a good strong handshake, and he'd look you in the eye and he'd say, good job. Or if you had a warning, he might say, you know, no more food in the cabin or something like that. Right. Step it up, Dorman. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could lose a social point. Mm -hmm. My first year, a boy in my cabin only got two social points the whole year. And then they, after a while, they started giving silver social points, you know, like special guys, et cetera. So. What trips and experiences stand oh, out? Oh, trips. I missed you. that. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Allagash was the big one. Uh, St. Croix, you know, when you're 13 or 14, we went on Katahdin immediately after St. Croix, the year I went, 60, hmm. 62. And so uh, with the Allagash, for example, do you remember um, where you put in? Telos. Uh, you put it in Telos, okay. <laughs> and then you took out probably, did you, what did you take out at uh, in Allagash Village, maybe? Uh, yeah, we paddled down to Fort Kent. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's a long trip. Yeah. So you went down, Two to, weeks. down to St. John as well. Yeah. Oh, that's great. They wouldn't let us go unless we really were physically fit. And, had, and we're strong swimmers. Uh-huh. You know, I, I paddled the Allagash many times uh, since you did it, and um, it is remarkably exactly the same as, as it was uh, back in the day. The, it's one of the few rivers that really has federal protection. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And it really makes a difference. Yep. Yeah. Well, Chase Carey was the big thing to accomplish. Mm -hmm. These days, we put the kids in, actually, in the west branch of Penobscot, oh. and then they, uh, they go down uh, through... Um, Saskatchewan Lake and then uh, portage in uh, to the Allagash through the mud pond. That's something that stands out in a lot of people's Yeah. Oh, minds. yeah. You know, so they have a portage. Oh, it's about a, yeah, about a mile and a half portage. Yeah, yeah we had a portage. It's um, muddy sometimes. Yeah, and, and, and it's owned by a lumber company and it's not part of the waterway yet. Yeah. Uh, the waterway doesn't start till the end of the portage trail. And the lumber company is worried about liability, so they won't let us go up there and, and cut. So it's a lot of trees across the trail and it's obviously some of your family some of your kids have gone to the camp and so w what does it mean to you uh, to have Kiev Wavis and in your case Wavis um, part of that uh, family tradition you know I guess it's a source of satisfaction mm -hmm. having put all that work into it to save it and then not being able to bring it all the way but for having your kids follow your footsteps, uh, I guess it was a different kind of an experience that they had. But I will say that talking with them on the property this summer yeah. uh, was magical for me. And uh, they they felt as strongly, or yeah. certainly very strongly, about uh, being Well, it was a very exciting time, really fun, because it was my daughter, Christine, came with me in, in the summer of 93, so she was making trails. You know, there are pictures of her hurling a log down the side, you mm -hmm. know. And so she had come up and lived with me in Jefferson for, you know, three or four weeks. We had a work camp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then Dan was a wonderful counselor. And then Christine was a wonderful counselor. And they, they enjoyed Carol. Christine especially, you know, wants to have a reunion. But there's that middle group of girls who including some Jefferson girls. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Well, and, and just, I, I'm sure you know this, but there's probably about a, nearly half a million dollars of scholarship money that's given away in the summers so that local kids can come. And there are there are a ton of them, which well, is... Well, uh, I think that's great. It, yeah, it really is. Um, so how has uh, WAVIS impacted your life, do you think? Well, you know, it's a, a deep strain throughout my life. I think where I am now, I feel some gratitude and some... Um, you know, we're neighbors. I mean, we live right across. We can see our cottage. I can see my grandfather's cottage, red and white, from my window in my cabin, the Eagle Cabin in 1958. It was very soothing. So it's been a sadness over the years to see the place close, become a demise property. And then there was great, there was ecstasy after a long haul and a fairly sophisticated real estate deal. Mm-hmm and tapping pros to help coach us through. That was, that was one of the great moments in my life, the day that we got it. Right. And then trying to run it was full of idealism, but my kids had a great time. Obviously, you have a ton of memories from your time as a camper. Uh, can you tell us some of your favorite memories? I remember hitting a long home run against Chimney Point Camp. Mm-hmm. High inside pitch, hit it right down the left field line, and you know when you hit the sweet spot. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> How old do you think you were when that happened? Twelve. Twelve years old. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's I love that. And then, so who at Wavis was uh, the most significant influence on you, do you think? Yeah, well, Westy was at the time. And, but I think that um, I, I thought about it because I was thinking about the Kiev Wavis. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say Sandy Buck. Oh, nice. Yeah, hmm. because we spent a lot of time together just talking. And he gave me kind of a very good feeling about, an unvarnished feeling, knowledge of Kiev, mm-hmm. that he loved it. And it was in his bones as much as Wavis was in my bones. Mm-hmm. But he saw things for what they were to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And um, it made me feel much more integrated oh, about great. everything. Yeah, yeah. Sandy is uh, you know, one of my best friends. And I, think I know we he is. together at the camp. And uh, so he's going to be on the podcast too. He'd be pleased to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, give him my regards. I certainly will. Um, and so for an incoming camper that's just arriving for their first time, uh, what, what advice would you give to them? Be grateful mm-hmm. and don't succumb to hubris. Okay. That's very good advice. <laughs> and then with the oldest campers, as they are leaving the nest and getting uh, ready to make their way in the world, uh, what would you say to them? Oh, I think that's what I would say to them going out probably. Mm-hmm. A, a, kid, a young one coming in, have fun and make friends. Mm-hmm. It's all about having other people your age with you mm-hmm. and kind of experiencing something together. It's really being away from your parents. Yeah, and making these lifelong friends that yeah. you can count on. Yeah, it's great. Well, and nowadays, there's a wonderful... The internet, for once, is a great thing mm-hmm. because they, even though they only see each other for three and a half weeks or something, mm-hmm. and maybe only two summers, maybe, but mm-hmm. they carry it on. Yeah, and we're getting ready, of course, to turn 100, so hopefully a lot of them will Well, you know, back. the life of these camps, to me, and I found it trying to start Wabas up, was that it lives in the memory and traditions of the the people who are when they raise their kids, mm-hmm. even if they don't come to the camp, that they 
there was a whole generation of 17 years where it was close mm -hmm. and, they, and but they'd raise their kids with the songs mm -hmm. and the little sayings you mm -hmm. know and, and the symbols of the totem right exactly right <laughs> and so there was a, a commonality and a ethos that never died mm -hmm. even though the camp was taken away mm -hmm. and i think that it's out there now and it probably there's some sort of thing that that exists over time in the air and the other thing i think is that the land that well, we came to feel that the land had refused to be anything other than a camp. You know, you're exactly right about that. <laughs> it's, uh, it was put on this earth to be okay. a camp, yeah. and the right thing did happen. Remind me about uh, who owned the property and sort of how the um, how they came to um, sell it to the Wabash Foundation. Okay, it came through. It came through sports. But how it happened was that Ed Snyder, who was a owner of the Philadelphia. Flyers hockey team was looking for a place for his team to have some sort of training preseason or whatever. Interesting. And that's how they met. And then Snyder had a big property over in Monmouth on uh, Cabasi Conti. And then they worked out a deal. And it was in the camp. The transition was very slow and difficult. Mm -hmm. The Westermans had all sorts of, I mean, I followed all this through the, um, the sale and the and Westerners didn't sign off on it for five years. I mean, it was like, all right, we're selling it to you, but it's not really done for five more years. This was in the mid seventies. Yeah. Like 74 to 79 huh. when they finally on a Christmas Eve, the whole family signed. you know, it was like, you could see how excruciating it was uh -huh. because it was owning the camp was a trust you know, and they had a, a song, you know, Hail to the Westies. And so uh, Mr. Snyder then... Um, Wanted to have it be a family compound. I see. My, my understanding is that the land use laws in Maine changed between the time he bought the land and by the time he went to build a house, he wanted to build it out on the point. Oh, did he? Okay. And that's my understanding is that, and then um, he couldn't build out there because of the setbacks. It didn't meet any of the setbacks. So he sort of lost interest in the property and put it on the market. It wasn't doing anything for him. He was paying taxes yeah. and he had somebody living there full time. He was paying a salary. Yeah. And I think that was Scott Henry. And so uh, if there anything else that you'd like to share, anything I've missed or that we've missed together? I guess I would say one more thing sure. is that uh, my feeling about the camp, today now you seem to have a professionally run team that makes all the difference and they're they seem to be empathetic and uh, oriented to listening and kindness well I, I appreciate that and some of the new directors have actually grown up there yeah you know one of them is uh lindy perry whose grandmother was uh, carol haynes right that's one of the she took me around the camp yeah that's right and Lindy works for us year-round now. Oh, does she? Yeah. 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 And, well, she uh, seems like a real quality person. There's, she is. And, uh, Kate used to be Kate Adair. Now she's Kate Kaplan, married one of the Kiev directors, and the two of them uh, are there all summer. She didn't grow up at the camps, but she arrived there during college, and so she's been there for 10 years now. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so no, she that, sounds... Well, I think she said, and a couple of them said, we're, we're Wabas for life. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Wabas for life. <laughs> All right, my friend, this is awesome. Well, thank you. All right.
Hey, thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time. Yeah.